It seems a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that we started this series. Way, way before Easter, before who ate too many chocolate eggs? Surely I'm not the only one. Well, what is too many? That is a good question. Who, who ate enough chocolate eggs? Oh, that's better, right. Yes. I saw in Morrison's, they're selling off large Cadbury's cream eggs, 75p. They still can't get rid of them. Just, just a heads up. Anyway, long time ago, we started our series on spiritual eyes, how we, we see things or how God sees things. Looking at the scriptures, looking at the, the story from beginning to end, in a sense, through the eyes of God, we, we often read the Bible, interpret the Bible, see the Bible through our own eyes, but it's written so that we may see it partly through our own eyes, but more importantly, through God's eyes, through spiritual eyes. And we, we said that a key verse for the whole series is this from Ephesians 6.12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And we read that and we kind of go, oh yeah, okay. But we never really stop and say, well, what does that really mean? What is that really talking about? What about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms? I thought heaven was where all the angels were, sitting on their clouds uh, with little harps, strumming away, you know, and, and where God is. And then how can there be spiritual forces of evil up there? Surely when, when they messed up, they were sent away from there. And heaven is just beautiful. But as we've been unpacking through the scriptures, it's not quite as it seems. And so we looked at it and the Bible talks about two realms, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And when God created at the beginning, he sent the, the Elohim, as it's called in the Hebrew, all those spiritual beings to, to, uh, to carry out God's work in the spiritual realm and us as physical beings to carry out God's work in the, in the physical realm. But the problem was that he gave both of us the, uh, the ability to, to choose. And so God set up his first council room, if you like, where the spiritual and the physical come and meet. And it was there that we got our orders from God about what it is he wants us to do. And for us here on earth, he said this in Genesis 1.28, God blessed us, that them is us, and said to them, be fruitful in increasing number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. And what he meant by that was for us to be images of God. The picture you have of Eden is a world that is in balance. And God said, I want you to take that balance, I want you to take that that nurturing ability that I've given to you and go and fill the earth. So increase in number because two of you, it's too big of a job just for Adam and Eve. So increase and go and fill the earth. But as you do that, bring Eden to the whole world. We pray the same thing in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Same thing. He says, go and do that. And the spiritual realm, he says, go and do it in the spiritual realm. Go and subdue it all. Go and fill that. Go and be that in the spiritual realm. Now, the problem, as I said, is 
that God loves us and love always has a choice. You cannot force someone to love you. And God says, this is what I want you to do. Please go do it. But we said, no. And in the spiritual realm, the same thing happened. Pride got in the way. Pride in us and pride in the spiritual realm with the Elohim. And they said, basically, we don't really want to do what God is asking us to do. We want to do it our way. We want to do it in our, the way that we would like to do it. We want to do it according to our desires, our will, the way that we, we feel like it. God, we, great plan, God, but no thanks. And we went against God with the picture of the apple that we took it and we ate it. And basically we're saying, God, we're going to do it the way we want to do it. We're not going to do what you told us to do. We're just going to do how we like to live. We want to be in control of our own lives. I want to do it my way, not your way. And the same thing happened in the spiritual realm and there was a consequence to those. In the physical realm, we were thrown out of the garden. In the spiritual realm, we were thrown out effectively of the council room of God. He said, if you want to do it your way, then I'm going to give you that because I love you. Because I love you, that means that if you want to choose a wrong pathway, I'll let you choose it. I don't like it. It's not the best for you, but I'll let you choose it. Because that's what love does, doesn't it? If you've had children... You know, or cousins or nephews, you, you know, right? Sometimes they make bad decisions. And as a parent, you have that decision now, do I stop them or do I let them carry on because I love them and they have to learn and they have to grow and, and actually now they come to that point. When they're you know, 20, 30 years of age, you don't step in again, do you? Partly because they're usually bigger than you by then, Right? But you don't because you just think now you have to make decisions and you can sit there and you go, I know where the end of this road is going to be for you because partly because we've already been there ourselves, right? Don't ever tell them that, but it's true. And yet you, you sit there in frustration and you watch it and you go, oh, what are they doing that for? And God was the same. And he said, you know what? I long for you to do what I'm asking you to do because it's the best way for you. But my love compels me to let you go if you want to go a different way. And we chose the different way. We keep on choosing the different way. And there are consequences. And the consequences were, as we saw in Genesis, of a world that became broken and out of balance. And we live with that today. But also then we decided that we would try and kind of imitate what God wanted us to do, but do it in our strength and in our way. And in the spiritual realm in Genesis 6, you see the, uh, the Nephilim coming along, the sons of God and the daughters of, of, of uh, humanity, right? The, the spiritual realm and the physical realm and these super beings that were kind of created to go and fill the earth and subdue it and do it in our way. And God sent the flood and said, I'm not having that. And in our, our sense, in the physical, in Genesis 11, you see the Tower of Babel. We said, hey, you, you told us to go to the whole world. Yeah, but we like this place. You know, Harrow is, a, is the place to be. 
Okay, that's not a good example. But anyway, you know what I'm saying? And we thought, you know what? It's beautiful here. We love it. It's just, you know, it's like a, an oasis. We don't want to go anywhere. We're going to stay here and we're going to make you come down to us. Not us reach up to you. And God said, I'm not having that either. And he sent the languages to confuse. You with me so far? I'm trying to recap quickly. And then God, when we decided to do it our way, Deuteronomy 32 verse 8, he says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, that's a Babel, we looked at this, and when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the number of the sons of God. What God basically did was, he said, you know the world, if you really want to do it your way, spiritually and physically, okay, do it. You're going to make a mess. You're going you're gonna to fall flat on your face. But okay, you do it. And he gave the world spiritually and physically over to our pride and our own abilities. And so he said, I, I'm going to set up. So the Elohim became, in a sense, gods over various geographical locations. And nations were formed through the languages. And those nations started to worship the gods that were over them. The Elohim, instead of worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But he said, oh, let me carry on. But he said, you know what? Verse 9, he said, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. He decided to not completely turn his back on us. He said, yeah, okay, you can do this, but I'm going to have one strip of land that will be mine. And that will be Israel. Israel will be my new Eden, effectively. Because if I turn my back on the whole world, if I just let you go your own way, how are you going to ever return? How are you going to ever find another pathway, the real pathway, the pathway to life in all its abundance and fullness? I need to leave for you a model, I leave for you an alternative to the way that you want to go yourselves so that when you fall flat on your face, there is an alternative there for you to follow. And so he said, you can have all the other nations the United Kingdom, United States, Russia, China, India, Africa, South America, you can have all of them, but you're not having this one place. That's mine. That's my portion that I'm going to keep. And he said, I'm going to have this piece of land and I'm going to populate it with my people and so he called Abraham didn't he and he said Abraham Sarah you're the ones and he said to them and he made this covenant with them he said the Lord said to Abraham go from your country your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you and there are seven blessings 
that he gave, or seven statements. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God effectively took this nation, this geographical nation, he took a new nation called Israel through Abraham and Sarah. And he said, they're going to populate here. They're going to be here. They're going to be different from everybody else so that you will be able to look at them and see the difference that is in them. They will be a new Eden land and a new Eden people. It's like them becoming the Adam and Eve all over again, if you like. And he said, they're going to come. And, and so people will be able to look at them and say, hey, What's, what's so different about them? Why, why are they being a blessing? Why, why are they more blessed than anywhere else? Why, why is God favoring them and our gods that we're following not favoring us like they are? What's going on? And that was the role of Israel. And it carried on. If you can see the map. Do you know where that is? You won't better read it. Anybody know? Who's been to Israel? No? That's Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Ring any bells? You, you look all a bit stunned. I'm sure it rings a bell if you look up Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, when the people of Israel marched around, Moses got them to the edge, right? They got to the edge. They came into the land. And when they came in and they crossed the river, they renewed the covenant. And in Deuteronomy 28, half the people of Israel went up one of those hills and the other half went up the other one. Half up Gerizim, half up Ebal. In the middle is, uh, is Shechem, or now called Nablus, on the West Bank. And it's a natural amphitheater. And in Deuteronomy 28, what they did was that on one hill, they said all the blessings that God is going to bestow on them if they follow what he's asked them to do. Let me just read you what he said. Deuteronomy 28. And on the, other, on the other hill was if all the things that were going to go wrong if they didn't, if they were disobedient. Deuteronomy 28. It says, If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herd and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord and your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. 
The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail, if you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. As I was reading that, did you see there both the way that that is just an amplification of of Genesis 12, of the Abrahamic blessing? But also, it's just like Eden as well, isn't it? He's just saying, I'm going to bless you, right? You're going you're gonna to be my Eden people. Go do what I'm asking you to do, and all this is going to be yours. And then from the others, it was like, if you don't do it, the reverse is going to happen. You're going to have famine. You're going to have this. You're going to have wars. You're going to have all these kind of things going on. Follow me. And he always gave them the choice. Do you want to do this or not? And they all went, yes. And then five minutes later, it was... Mm, maybe not. But in that, let me go back. In that, he said this, as I just read it, in verse 9. He said, the Lord will establish you as his holy people. As he promised you on earth, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. Let me ask you today, what does it mean to be holy? What does holy mean? We sang it in the songs that we sang earlier. We said the word holy. What does it mean to be holy? God said to them, you're going to be my holy people. What does it mean? What does holy mean? It's not like your socks. They get holy, but that's a different kind of holy. It means what? Sacred. Okay, what does that mean? It's a good answer, but what does it mean? It means without sin. Set apart. Top of the class. It means, holy literally means, it means what you said, but it means set apart. You've got a teapot at home that you use for nothing else but tea. That's holy. Because it's set apart for tea only. You wouldn't go to your teapot and say, I'm going to percolate some coffee in you today. Do you? Because you've got a holy coffee, coffee pot that you use just for coffee. Right? Some men have a holy mug. You got that? i got a cup that's mine for some ridiculous reason if somebody else comes and starts using my mug I kind of get a little bit agitated inside and then I have to what what are you doing man just calm down but it's set apart it's my mug right it's it's I don't know don't ask me why but it is it's holy and holy literally means that they are set apart and in the bible things are set apart in various times 
Exodus 3, 5. Exodus 3 is where Moses goes to the burning bush. And what does God say? Take off your shoes. Why? Because you are on holy ground. So the ground can be holy. It's holy, as we'll see in another verse, when God's presence is there. Because God makes ground holy. When he said to the people of Israel, this is my portion, this is my land, that land became holy. Exodus 19, verse 6. Says, God says to them, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I'm going to set you apart, he says, to do something very specific, to do something that nobody else is going to do, so you're holy. Exodus 19:23. This is up at Mount Sinai. And he says to them, don't come anywhere near the mountain. Why? Because God's presence is going to come on the top of Sinai where he gets the Ten Commandments. He said, if you come into that presence of God, you're, in, you're going to die. Because the Bible says that we are holy. We're set apart. If you know Jesus Christ, then you are holy. Right? Say it to yourself. I am holy holy okay say it with conviction i am holy right if you know jesus christ you have been set apart by christ for a particular function and that makes us holy because it means to be set apart point at someone i know it's rude to point but you've got permission point at someone say you are holy right you're set apart Tell it, you know, you're, you're allowed to point in church, just not anywhere else. But God, God is not holy. God is holy, 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 right? Revelation, the angels sing. And, and when it's three times, it means that is the definition. That is the extreme. You can't get any more, right? So we are set apart, but God is like set apart, set apart, set apart, right? He is so set apart that we can't even get to his set apartness. It's so big. It's so far, right? Which was why when, when they carried, this is an aside, but when they carried the, the Ark of the Covenant, you know when they were in the wilderness and they picked up the Ark? and they carried it. Do you know how far they had to keep a distance from it? Two meters? No. God is holy. Holy, holy. They had to keep half a mile away from the ark. Otherwise they'd die. Only those guys that were allowed to carry it could go anywhere near it half a mile I'm talking about here to Harrow on the Hill station right that's that's what we're talking about so there was an exclusion zone of that kind of distance from Trinity I measured it yesterday so I could give you a perspective Trinity 
to Haron the hill station all the way around the Ark of the Covenant. They wouldn't, you couldn't get anywhere closer to it. And when the tabernacle was set up, there was an exclusion zone around the tabernacle. Why? Because God is so holy that you can't come in to that kind of presence. So you remember when, you remember when the, uh, they sent it off to the Philistines and it came back and it started, and Uriah put his hand on the ark? Whoo, boom, dead. Right? And, and we kind of go, why? Because he was doing it with a good heart, right? He was trying to stop it from falling. But you can't just get in close to the holiness of God like that. That's, ooh. And so God is holy, holy, holy. But we are holy, set apart. Which then in Leviticus 11, I think it's 11.44. This is where God says, the word says, be holy because I am holy. Right, it's not be sacred because I am sacred or be sinless because I am sinless. It's be set apart because I'm set apart. And in my set apartness, I've called you to be something different than anything else. Israel was called to be holy. A holy people set apart completely different, completely unique, so that all the world, all these other nations will look at them and say, how come they're so blessed? How come they're so protected? How come they're so different? What are they doing that we're not doing that they're getting all this blessing and we're not getting it? Why is, why is the God that they're following giving them all this and our God our fallen Elohim that we're following is not giving us this. What's going on? And they were to be a witness to the people around them. Set apart, completely different. So how can we be holy? Well, there's two things that you need for holiness. First is the law. The law showed them how to be different. The law showed them how to be loyal to the God that they really believed in. How do you show this holiness, this difference? What do we do? And so all the, the rituals, if you like, all the feasts and all the things that they had to do was to remind them over and over again of the one fact that they're different, they're holy, and that the God they serve is holy, holy, holy. So come do these feasts. Come to the temple or come you know, and do all these different things that you have to do because everything there was to remind you you're holy, you're different. And all these rules and regulations that we look at and we think they're a bit weird and, but they were there to remind them over and over and over again that you're different, that you have to be different, that I want you to be different and the law is there. That's why Jesus said it's not going to be done away with. It's been going to be fulfilled because, because through the rules, through the, the, the rituals, through what you do makes you different and therefore fulfills what God has called them to be. But underlying that comes the belief and the faith in the promises and the character of the God of God's. God said, yes, do all these things, but never forget why you're doing them. Don't do these things just for the sake of it. How many times do we come to church just because it's Sunday morning we come to church? And actually we forget why we come. We forget who we're worshiping. 
We come and we, you know, so many times, oh, I like that hymn. Oh, I don't like that one. Why are we singing that one? Why is he doing that? You know? There's so many things. Somebody said to me once, you know, you, you say the Lord's Prayer too quickly. I'm sitting there going like, what? But you know the sad thing? As soon as you say that, they haven't worshipped. They, they've done the law, but they haven't come for God. If you're worrying about what I'm wearing, or whether I'm saying the Lord's Prayer too quickly or too slowly, I got once I got told off for walking too fast across the front. Not here, that was somewhere else. I'm thinking they haven't worshipped. Right, because what happens? I'll tell you what happens. And this is one of the dangers. When you put law above belief, it becomes religion. Law over belief becomes religion. I hate religion, right? It's only when you put belief above law that it works. That becomes a disciple. Think about it for a minute. Think about King David as an example. How many of the laws did David break? Pretty much all of them, right? Well, he committed murder, adultery. That's a good start, right? Lied, cheated. You know, he wasn't a good man, right? I don't know why my parents named me after him, really. You know, you know on his deathbed, he said, this is true, right? You can read it. He said, like, this, this is David. On his deathbed, he said, I can't, I can't kill off Saul's family because I kind of made a covenant and Saul was the king before me and I said to God I wouldn't hurt his family. So on his deathbed, he made Solomon promise that when he died, he said, Solomon, you didn't, have, you didn't make that promise. So what I want you to do, first number one job when you become king, bump off all the rest of Saul's family that I couldn't kill off. Right, this is nice. This is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Guy, all these wonderful psalms, that's, that's what he was like, right? He was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. But you know what? Why he's called the man after God's own heart? Because he always put belief above law. He broke most of the laws. But God accepted him because he had an unwavering belief in God. You know, when he committed sin with Bathsheba and God said, Nathan came to him, the prophet, right? He said, three choices, mate. You know, you can, you can have, the baby can die. You can, uh, I can't remember what they are now, but you can have famine in your land. And there was one other. And it, you know what his answer was? He said, God, you decide what the punishment will be. And so the baby died, right? Because he had that unwavering trust in God. He, he messed up over and over and over again, but he never wavered in his belief about who God was. You see, in the Bible, God, he will accept us messing up with the law, with what we're supposed to do. What he can't stand is the left-hand side. Because what happens on the left when we, we put, when it becomes religion, is that often other gods get in. 
Israel was guilty because they would often worship other gods. In Eden, in the place that God set apart as holy as, as his, they would be there worshiping other gods. And God said, I'm not standing for that, ever. No, 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 no. I want you to think about where you are today on this. You are holy. Because in the New Testament, God said, I've made you holy. I've set you apart. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been set apart. You're holy. Say it again, I'm holy. I want you to say it every day this week. Because we don't believe it. Do we? I am holy. I have been set apart for purpose. And the purpose is the same purpose as it was in the very beginning. The same purpose they gave to Adam and Eve to bring the kingdom. To go and bring Eden everywhere we can. But we've been set apart as God's people. But sometimes we're in danger of law trumping belief. And you know what happens? The enemy uses this. What happens is that so often, either one of two things. One is that the enemy comes in and says, hey, you've broken this rule and you've broken this rule and you've broken this rule. You're not really set apart at all. How can you be? Look at you. You're rubbish. Tried it with David. You know what? You've done this, you've done this, you've done that. You don't even deserve to be what you pretend to be. Look at our politicians today. Same thing's happening. Right? Boris, party gate. And what's the next one now? Keir Starmer, beer gate or whatever they call it. Who, uh, who knows when the next one? You know, if you've done this, you don't deserve to be leader of whatever. But the devil comes and he puts that in our heads. Hey, you know what? You mess up. You don't deserve to be. You're not, you're not holy. Look at you. You're rubbish. And he distracts you and he pulls you down and he depresses you and he tries to pull you away saying you can never be holy. And it's that moment that you stand on the promises of God and say, my holiness is not about me, it's about him. My holiness is won for me by Jesus Christ on the cross. It's not about what I've done or what I haven't done. Or the enemy will come and disrupt your belief. You have times in your life where you stop praying and you stop reading the word? And you drift away. You know, like in relationships, how many relationships have we had over our lifetime? Where you didn't fall out with anybody, but you just kind of drifted apart until you stopped talking. Sometimes they were really good friends, but you kind of lose touch with each other. And the enemy will try and do that. Hey, eh, just skip the Bible reading. Skip the prayer time today. Skip, skip the relationship with God today. And you find that you start to drift when you do that. And then finally the relationship, it just withers away. And people say, I've lost my faith. 
No, you've lost touch with the one who's standing there asking you to come back every day because you're not actually feeding the relationship. God wants us to be a disciple, to be firm in our belief of who he is in our relationship with him and then to do what he's asked us to do. Psalm 51, if you, ever, if you ever feel broken, if you ever feel like you've messed up, read Psalm 51. What is it that God accepts? A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. This was David crying after Bathsheba incident. If you ever mess up, if you ever feel like you're not holy any longer, that God has abandoned you because of who you think you are, read Psalm 51. Because it will remind you of the depths of God, who he is. God has work for us to do. And we need both of these, belief first and foremost. Our faith needs to keep growing, keep it strong. And then we do the things that God asks us to do. We work out our salvation day to day in doing the things so that we may live out our holiness all for his glory. The people of Israel were called to be just that, to be a holy nation. They should still be there being that. We as the world should be looking at Israel, effectively saying like, why are they so blessed? But they went their own way and sometimes we do too. But God is always there to welcome us back, to call us home, and to remind us of the holiness that is in us because of him. Let us pray. Father, today, if there's one thing we get from all of this, may it be that we are holy. Not because I say so, but because you say so. You have called us. You have set us apart. And therefore we are holy. We are set apart for a particular purpose. Help us to recognize who we are in you. We're holy people. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're righteous and upright and, and, you know, and never mess up. No, it just means that we are set apart to do something that you have called us to do. And as we go through this series, as we unpack the story, show us what it is you're asking us to do in practical ways so that we might be your people living for your glory. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's just pray too for our world and people we know. Father, we want to just lift to you our worlds right now as well. Father, we ask that you would just come and bring peace to our broken world. It is so messed up. Lord, we think of Ukraine and Russia, but there are many other places. 
Afghanistan, Yemen, parts of Africa, South America, like everywhere we look. There is division and there is conflict nationally or locally or in families, between neighbors. Lord, everywhere we look, bring peace. And Lord, may we know, may your church know that you have called us for purpose. That your church is holy because it's set aside to do a particular role. Trinity Church has been set aside for your glory to do something here in this part of your kingdom. Show us what that is. For when we are obedient to the calling of holiness, then you promise your blessing. And when we're disobedient, when we go out of line, there are consequences. But Lord, thank you that you always provide your strength. So be with our government, we pray. At this time of real challenge and on so many different areas, the war, but also still with the virus and, and with our local elections and the changes that's brought maybe in Scotland and Northern Ireland and, and Lord, all these issues, the, the world in which we live with all its, its climate change and, and all these things, Lord, there's so many big problems, big challenges. We need your wisdom. And so impart your wisdom to the leaders of this nation and across the world. May they govern with your heart and with your insight. And Lord, we pray for ourselves too and people we know. In a moment of quiet, let's just lift to God the people we know that are struggling in body, mind, or spirit right now and ask God to impact them and to bring his blessing into their lives. Father, we offer all these prayers in the words that you gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.